Hey everybody, Chris Kresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. Aging in the industrialized world is not a pretty picture for most people. It's generally a gradual or sometimes rapid decline, increased prevalence of illness and chronic disease, becoming less independent, less autonomous, and often spending the remaining years in either a memory care facility or in a type of situation that I think we would all agree is not ideal. But does it have to be that way? Certainly death, as far as we know, is inevitable at some point, and chronological aging continues. You know, we were born when we were born and we, we get older. As far as we know, there's, there's no stopping that, at least in the future that we can imagine right now. But is there a way that we can slow the process of aging or put in a different way? Can we slow or even reverse what we might call abnormal aging, which is the aging that we have come to accept as normal, where we gradually lose function, develop more disease and dysfunction, and generally end up in a place that none of us would like to be. That's the topic of this podcast, and I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Mark Hyman as my guest. He generally needs no introduction if you're at all familiar with the functional and integrative medicine space. Mark's been a guest on the show three or four times in the past. He's a dear friend and a mentor and a colleague. And he has a new book called Young Forever, where he explores these questions. What are the hallmarks of aging? What drives abnormal aging? Can we address those hallmarks? What are the mechanisms that explain, as far as we understand them now, that explain aging? How do things like exercise and physical activity, stress, social connection, food affect the aging process? And most importantly, what can we do as individuals to uh, identify and address those hallmarks of aging and slow or even reverse the process of abnormal aging. There's some really interesting research that we're going to talk about around that. And, you know, a lot of these conversations about anti-aging end up focusing on really high-tech or innovative new therapies, new drugs, or interventions like stem cells or exposomes or things like that. We're going to touch on those because I think they will impact our lives at some point. But this conversation is much more focused on the simple things that all of us can do to slow aging. And, and Mark and I agree that those factors are far more important than these higher tech new interventions that may have some impact on our lives later on. Even if and when that happens, I would argue, and I think Mark agrees, is the basics are still far more important. So this was a really fascinating conversation. I love his new book. I read it cover to cover. That's pretty rare for me at this point because I get so many health books sent to me. But this one really was worth reading and worth talking to Mark about. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Let's dive in. Mark Hyman, such a pleasure to have you back on the show. For Thank number, you. I think it's number three or four. I always love our conversations. So I'm really excited, really excited to dig into this latest book of yours because. I'm getting older, at least <laughs> at least in terms of chronological age. I actually feel in some ways like I'm getting younger, which there you go. this is going to be a big topic of our conversation, right? Like, what does it actually mean to age? And what are some of the 
I mean, I want to start with the biggest picture stuff and then we can drill down. So, cause like how uh, geeky do you want to get? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know me and you know my audience. So we're going to, we're going to do a little bit of both. We're going to do a little, <laughs> bit of both. but you know, I started in the beginning of your book, like started from the beginning. And of course you started also with the biggest question, like mm. is aging inevitable? Like yeah. we've just look around in, in the world of different species of animals. And we see that all animals that we know of age and eventually die. Is that inevitable? Or in the future? I mean, I think death is pretty much at this point is like taxes are inevitable. (laughs) (laughs) Death and taxes. I think we come up with some really radical new interventions. I don't think we can escape death. But there is this concept out there called longevity escape velocity, which is the advances in science will continue so fast that it will keep prolonging our life faster than we actually will age. So we can potentially stave off death inevitably. I'm not sure that's a good idea, but for many reasons. But I think it's an interesting question about what is what is our potential lifespan? You know, you have bowhead whales of 400 years, tortoises maybe up to hundreds of years, as Greenland sharks were 400 years, I think bowhead whales are 200 years. That's a long time. So what are the mechanisms of aging? What are we seeing around us in this culture uh, as aging? And how is that actually maybe abnormal aging? The things that we come to understand is a normal consequence of getting older, right? Decline in function, decrepitude, frailty, loss of mobility, disease. You know, these are just things that we seem to come to accept as normal parts of getting older, but they're not necessarily true. There are many people, and I met many of them when I was in the blue zones who were 100 years old and still riding horses and functioning and climbing mountains. And I'm like, they're not walking around with a walker. I mean, <laughs> I think absolutely. Yeah. Here where I live in the mountains, I was just skiing this morning with a woman who's 82 years old and absolutely ripping, like not just getting by, like one of the best skiers on the mountain. And she's out there most days. So I think everyone's had, I mean, you mentioned this in the book. We've all had the experience in our life of seeing aging happen really differently amongst different people, right? Some people, they look 10 or 15 years older than their age. And other people, you know, like you said, they're out riding horses in their 90s or skiing or surfing or doing all kinds of cool stuff, starting new businesses, you know, whatever. So let's break that down because clearly there's something happening there. So you talk about this distinction in your book between different types of aging. So like, how do you break that down? There's just chronological aging that happens no matter what, right? The clock is ticking and passing. But then beyond that, there's all kinds of variation in how aging actually happens. Totally. I mean, I think I'm 63. I can't change that. That was born in 1959. And that's just going to be the way it is. And I'm going to get chronologically older unless they go out into space. But (laughs) biologically, that's another question. How do we understand the basic design of the human body how do we understand how to work with it to activate these ancient innate longevity systems these healing repair renewal regeneration systems that are embedded in us like when we cut our skin it heals which is a freaking miracle you know we have surgery we you know big things our body heals it doesn't go oh, you have to take this drug to heal your skin your body has its own healing systems and we've pretty much done everything in our culture and our way of life and our lifestyle to screw up those healing systems, the way we eat, the lack of exercise, the amount of stress, the sleep deprivation, the environmental toxins, and I could go on and on, are all interrupting our body's natural innate wisdom and healing and repair systems. So when we look at what works with us rather than against us, and we start to add in those things in our life, 
that actually activate these ancient healing systems and take away the things that are interrupting them, we can literally reverse the biological age by reprogramming our software, our biological software. And we can reprogram our epigenome, which is a big regulator of aging. We can reprogram our metabolic health, our hormonal health, our nutritional health. And these things are really critical if we're going to understand how to not only live longer, because it's not only about just living longer, it's about living well longer. It's about healthy aging. It's about extending your health span. Because the last 20% of most people's life, their health is not good. So your health span maybe is 60 years, and then your lifespan might be 80 years, but the last 20 years is kind of crap. But why not be able to kind of live a full life and then just kind of die? It's <laughs> kind yeah. of my, In my sleep, plan. That, you yeah. know, check out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's spending the last 10 years of your life in a diaper in a wheelchair where you can't remember who you are is not anyone's idea of a good old age, right? And yet that's pretty common now at this point. And we have this conventional medical system that's really good at these heroic interventions later in life that keep people alive, but they don't keep people living, no. right? No. And so you, you asked before, that's true. And you asked before how we think differently about our biological and chronological age. Our biological age is sort of our age on the inside, not necessarily our clock age. And we can change that through these mechanisms that influence longevity. I call them the longevity switches. So we now understand that there are these fundamental processes that we can influence called the hallmarks of aging that we can understand what goes wrong and we can create very specific interventions to correct these dysfunctions that underlie all disease. So if we actually cured heart disease and cancer from the face of the planet, and we might extend life by five to seven years. If we understood how to optimize these systems that go wrong, instead of advancing the hallmarks of aging, we might get 30 or 40 years of life extension because these things are underlying all disease. Where we're doing whack-a-mole medicine, where we're treating heart disease and diabetes and cancer and dementia, but rather than doing that, we should treat the underlying reasons why these diseases occur. And that's this functional medicine. So, yeah, I was going to say, this sounds suspiciously like <laughs> functional medicine. Mark. It is. I don't know it what is. you're it talking is. about. It is, it no, is but, pretty much. And that's the, actually the lens that I use for my book because a lot of the longevity books and a lot of the longevity research is focused on these hallmarks, but finding drugs or other things to interrupt them. But I think that's a mistake. I think we have to look at what are the causes of these hallmarks and how do we work with them? You and I often agree on a lot of things. And I wasn't surprised to see that in the book because that, that is my critique of a lot of the anti-aging stuff out there. It's like, take this, oh, this new drug, you know, this is going to... And of course, you know, rapamycin, metformin, these drugs can have a place for sure. But if you're doing that on top of all kinds of broken stuff, <laughs> you're not going to get great results. You know, you got to fix the basic things first and address the underlying causes. And that's why I think this book is so refreshing because you acknowledge that those interventions that are more advanced can play a role. And I'd, I'd love to chat a little bit about those later in the conversation. But you make it clear that if you're not doing the basic stuff first, don't bother with those other things. Like get those basics right. And <laughs> then eating, layer on the like stuff. three pounds of sugar a day, it doesn't matter if you take rapamycin. <laughs> How much rapamycin or metformin you take. Exactly. This is a really crucial thing that I want people to understand from this conversation is that aging, just normal aging, is what it is. But what you're talking about here is aging, abnormal aging as a disease, which is, I think, a really big shift for people to understand. And then abnormal aging is the disease that drives 
all of the other downstream diseases of aging that, that we know about, dementia, Alzheimer's, early fractures, which are a big cause of death, et cetera. So let's talk about this a little bit because this is, a, I think, a big paradigm shift for a lot of people to get their head around. So we can't cure death that we know of now, but we can really dramatically slow abnormal aging if we look at it as a disease and then look at it from a functional medicine perspective where you're identifying and addressing the root causes of abnormal aging, which you call the hallmarks of aging. So maybe let's talk about the top three, you know, or a few of those so people have a sense of what those are. I think you're so right. Like we, we can actually not only slow aging, but we can reverse it. And I think that the most exciting data I've seen is about interventions that reverse biological age as measured by looking at your biological clock, which is measured by looking at DNA methylation patterns on your genes, which control which genes are expressed or not, and which are modifiable. We can't change which genes we have, but we can change which genes are turned on or off and how they're expressed. And that is influenced by lifestyle and many other things we do in functional medicine. So I think that this is, and I've seen this like, you know, in Kara Fitzgerald's study where they did a very aggressive dietary intervention based on functional medicine and a few lifestyle things. In eight weeks, they reversed biological age by three years, which is just stunning, right? So I think it's we're not, not just talking about, about like three years of, of hard work here necessarily, eight weeks, you know, eight weeks. <laughs> eight, weeks. <laughs> eight weeks. So your body is amazing. And I've seen people reverse all sorts of diseases in just a few months by putting in the right information in the body. So the hallmarks I think are many and they're all related, but I think one of the overarching ones is phenomena of deregulated nutrient sensing. It's, it's one that if your nutrition isn't right, it can screw up all the other ones. If your nutrition's crappy, you get more DNA damage, more epigenetic changes, more mitochondrial dysfunction, more damage to your proteins, more inflammation. And I could you know, go on and on, tell them you're shortened because of poor diet. But on the other hand, if you understand the, the way in which these longevity switches, I call them, these longevity switches can be regulated by diet, by regulated by when you eat, what you eat, how you eat, then you can start to be a master of your biology. And the there's four main pathways or longevity switches or mechanisms that are regulating our aging process that have to do with the food we're eating. And we have huge influence over those by the quality of our diet, by the timing of our diet, and, and many other factors. So I'll just sort of briefly talk about them. But there's two that are detecting an abundance or excess of nutrients. And there's two that detect not enough or scarcity. And these are all ancient systems that are designed to keep us alive, to keep us living longer, to turn off inflammation, to clean up old cells and repair damage, to help us increase our antioxidant systems, to improve our mitochondria. And they're all really beautifully designed. We just do everything we can to screw them up. So the first is the insulin signaling pathway. This is really a big one. And it's probably among the most important of the, the problems that we see with aging, which is too much food that causes our insulin to spike, that causes our blood sugar to spike. Carbs, and not necessarily all carbs, obviously broccoli is a carb, but starch and sugar, basically flour and sugar in any form is driving excess stimulation of insulin, which causes overgrowth of many things, including cancer, belly fat, inflammation, slows your metabolism, causes dementia, heart disease, diabetes. It's it's really the one of the keystone parts of understanding longevity is dealing with this sugar and flour problem in our society, which is the main source of our calories, unfortunately. 
So that's a big one. This, and so it's not that you don't need to actually stimulate insulin occasionally to actually help with your blood sugar regulation and everything else, but it's just the overstimulation of this. The second one is called mTOR. And this is a, is the one that's really controversial in many ways that actually is so misunderstood because many in the longevity space are saying, oh, mTOR, when it's overstimulated, prevents our bodies from doing cellular cleanup called autophagy. And so the key to longevity is to mimic calorie restriction and not stimulate mTOR and be able to actually induce this process of repair and cleaning up called autophagy, which is really important. But what they miss is that we also need to stimulate it at the right times to build muscle and to synthesize protein. And this is such a key function in the body that if we don't build and maintain and increase our muscle health and size and function as we age, we become old very fast. And so muscle is the currency of longevity. And so, yes, we need to give mTOR a break and inhibit mTOR so we can actually stimulate this cleanup process, but we also need to stimulate mTOR to build muscle. So how do you do that? Well, you can take periods of time during the day or you know, overnight where you're not eating, which is not something we do in, in this culture. We eat all night, we eat bedtime snacks, and then we eat first thing in the morning. So a 12-hour, 14-hour overnight fast, that means you eat dinner at six and you have breakfast at eight in the morning. Well, that's a 14-hour fast, okay? And that gives your body a chance to repair and do this autophagy process. And then you need protein on a fasted state first thing in the morning, usually more than we would think, probably 40 grams to stimulate muscle synthesis and activate mTOR. So it's like the Goldilocks thing. You don't want to stimulate all the time, but you want to make sure you, you stimulate in the right moments and the right time with the right kind of protein. And animal protein has a particular quality to it, which allows mTOR to be turned on. And the reason it has that is because it has higher levels in amino acid called leucine, which is a rate limiting amino acid for muscle synthesis. So if you have low leucine, let's say from plant proteins, you have to eat a ton of them, or you have to jack them up with sort of added supplemental amino acids, which a lot of these plant proteins do. So if you want to see these bodybuilders who are vegans, the way they do it is by eating large amounts of processed plant proteins with added amino acids that jack up the ability of the body to synthesize muscle. So you can do it if you're a vegan, but it's you have to eat a lot of processed food. Yeah, I want to linger on that for a second because for a while, and I feel like the tide has turned on this a bit. The, you know, there was like the everyone interested in longevity was starving themselves and they were, you know, like because there were studies showing calorie restriction was beneficial. And in my view, you know, then you just end up being cold and miserable for most of your life. You might live a few years longer, but I think the mTOR holds the key yeah, to low this. libido, ba- you'll the, be the skinny and muscle yeah, wasting. And you look <laughs> I mean, I've, I've met some of those people and they look horrible. <laughs> it does not look like they, I'm like, why do you even want to extend your life if you look like that and feel like that, you know? So I think mTOR, I'm glad you brought this in because I think mTOR is a good, one of the reasons why that approach is unlikely to work for humans. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that a lot of longevity scientists, guys who spend their life studying longevity are promoting a vegan diet. And it just, it's kind of shocking to me because it's, it's very reductionist and it doesn't understand the other part of longevity, which is muscle. And that's key. So I think that's an important piece. The other thing is these two other pathways that detect not enough nutrients, sirtuins and AMPK. And 
they're involved in mitochondrial health and DNA repair and inflammation regulation and many, many other factors that help with longevity. And what's really interesting is that sugar also screws these things up. So if you have too much sugar and processed food and metformin works through acting on the AMPK pathway, which is important, but it's it's a really, I think, lame attempt to try to extend longevity by regulating insulin resistance to a drug rather than the best way, which is through diet and exercise. So I, th- I think it's a little misguided and we're going to be seeing more data. I'm not prescribing metformin for longevity at this point. I, I'm kind of waiting. The TAME trial is coming out, which is uh, targeting aging with metformin. It's a big randomized control trial. I think it'll show some benefit, but compared to what, right? Compared to eating a very healthy, like low glycemic diet and exercise, I don't think it's going to work as well. I don't think so either. And then sirtuins, I think are important. And you know, then people are talking about how to activate sirtuins. So resveratrol was a big craze for a while, but that you have to do a lot of that to do it. And it may not be the best way, but NMN and NAD and NR, these are natural compounds that your body uses in energy metabolism. And when your nutrient levels are low, NAD increases and increases the stimulation of sirtuins, which go about all the good things you want to do, like DNA repair and lowering inflammation. So I think there's a a sort of exciting research on NMN and and RNNAD. There's some controversy about it related to cancer, but I think this is sort of an animal models and it's very limited. And I I, I don't think it's a, a big factor. Yeah, it's fascinating. I love talking about these mechanisms and I, you may, may not even see this because it, it, literally the study was published yesterday. At least I saw the report on it. So it's from Jonas Salk Institute and the researchers found that when telomeres, which we can talk about, you of course talk about this a lot in your book, when they shorten, they communicate to the mitochondria, which of course the energy powerhouse of the cell and basically tell that cell, you know, it's time to wrap things up. And it initiates a process of apoptosis, you know, cell death and inflammation inside of the cell as a protective mechanism to destroy the cell before it can become cancerous. So this is like another layer of understanding of how the aging process actually works because it's aging that's shortening, it's abnormal aging that's shortening those telomeres and then sending that self-destruct signal to the mitochondria. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so I think what's exciting is that, you know, we now know you, for example, it's not a one-way street. You can increase telomere length, like hyperbaric oxygen therapy increases telomere length, exercise, a multivitamin, meditation, getting enough sleep, eating a whole foods diet, all actually increase telomere length. So aging is not a one-way street or biological aging is not a one-way street. I did my biological age and I'm 63, but biologically I'm 43. I mean, I'm trying to get to 25. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be living in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. <laughs> I wish, you know, honestly, I wish I could. I'm like working on yeah. building a place where in Costa Rica, where I have all the toys that I want. All the goodies. I, yeah, yeah, all the goodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sauna, infrared light. Here's the good news. Like, cause I think sometimes people hear these conversations about longevity and they think, well, I don't have access to hyperbaric oxygen or all these fancy things. They're too expensive. What you just said is all the basics, stress reduction, meditation, eating a whole foods diet. We're going to talk about social connection here in a moment because that one is huge. And I know you really focus a lot on that in your life or in your book and your life, but it's the basics that are so important. I find myself constantly bringing people back to that because I think we have a tendency to want to find the answer in a pill or in some super teched out, you know, like 
fancy intervention, but it's the basics that make the biggest difference. When I had David Sinclair on the podcast, he agreed with me. Like, I think most longevity researchers who are really paying attention to this, they will agree with that. It's so true. You know, I wrote a book years ago with a pastor, Rick Warren and Daniel Lehman, and called The Daniel Plan. Daniel from the Bible, who resisted the king's temptation of rich food and was healthier for it. And we talked about five things that are the foundation of health and longevity, faith. And that really doesn't have to be, you know, religious faith, but it could be meaning and purpose, right? You're kind of icky guy, which I talked about in the book, which is your reason for being. The second is food. The third is fitness. We talked about the five Fs, right? Faith, food, fitness, focus, which is your mindset and your beliefs. And the last one is friends and community. I always say friend power is more powerful than willpower and community is medicine. And it's really so true. We look at the risk factor of social isolation and loneliness. It's just a huge problem in our society is that disconnection and social isolation and division. And when you go to the blue zones, it's like, it's all about community. It's all about enjoying each other. It's laughter and play and hanging out and you know, it's like traveling in Sardinia and I was, we were driving and then we went to this beautiful town way up in the mountains and we're meeting a lot of old people. And then we're leaving and we're driving out of the town and this guy stops in front of us, a guy named Carmen. And he was, you know, probably 86 years old and he, he had a little Fiat Panda and he pulled it over, kind of blocked the road. And he like sat on this stone wall and he kind of waved over to us. I'm like, said to my guy, just like, what, what's going on here? He's like, oh, he just wants to talk. And I'm like, what? Yeah, and the US, you're like, <laughs> like I'm going to get robbed that? here. And then like, the US who does is that, right? a totally different so, thing. Yeah. So we sat on this wood, this stone wall for like an hour and chatted about his life and his, his whole story. It was quite amazing. He says, come, come. And we went and like saw his farm that he, he had through his family for hundreds of years and all the fig trees and the he had all these animals and the sheep and all this vegetable garden he was growing. And he did the whole thing himself. And he was like 86 years old. And I'm like, wow, it's like a, I mean, growing a little garden's a big project, but this is what he, for his That's huge. a lot of work. And I, you know, at one point he, he had to ran up this hillside to go after a sheep and I tried to go after him and I, I had trouble keeping up with him. <laughs> and he was like 86 years old. Yeah, he was in yeah. Sardinia. He's just like middle age, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and no, I uh, love that. and so the power of a community is so important, and mm-hmm. we need to learn how to cultivate that. And I, I found that in my own life. You know, you get busy, you get focused on career, but making a commitment and time to develop deep friendships and, and connections is super important. I started during COVID, and I called a lot of my old guy friends, and I said, Hey, let's start a you know men's group and just meet every week or so. And they were like, Oh yeah, let's meet, you know, every week for two hours. So basically we, we zoom in on every two hours and we're all over the place. And if we do it in person, but it's a beautiful thing to actually be in a place where you can be seen and known and have this human connection. So that is one of the most important ingredients for longevity. Absolutely. My podcast listeners probably get tired of me talking about this study. I know, you know what I'm talking, the one I'm talking about, but it showed that Lack of social connections and social isolation is a greater predictor of early death than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. Having high body. I mean, I think that's just such a shocking yeah. statistic for people yeah. to hear. Yeah. That like something that's relatively in their mind, maybe intangible, it's not connected to what they're eating or even smoking cigarettes could have that dramatic of an impact on it's so our lifespan. True. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about Sardinia and some of those other places is just how it's almost impossible to be disconnected living in that kind of environment. It's more of a challenge, I think, for people in our culture because we live in these isolated nuclear family 
living situations, not multi-generational homes like in Sardinia. And a lot of people end up feeling kind of cut off from their community. And, you know, a lot of people don't even know their neighbors. <laughs> like you could live somewhere for 15 years and not even talk to your neighbors more than a handful of times during that period. So, but I see like there's a big movement, as you know, like you mentioned Costa Rica, there's eco villages springing up all over Costa Rica, in Mexico. There's even developments in Florida, new housing developments that have schools and parks and even grocery stores and everything right built into the community. And I'm glad to see that it seems like there's a bit of a renaissance or a movement back towards that kind of configuration of living. Cause I, that's how human beings evolve. Totally. Right. Totally. Totally. We're a tribal. Yeah. I mean, we, you put a human out there in the world by himself or herself. It's, it's not going to be a pretty picture. It's harder to survive on your own. Right. We need, we need Absolutely. community and tribe and that's how we get things done. And it's how we make progress is how we, Growth. I mean, think about the the interdependence of all of us as human beings, right? We, you know, we're not these islands that can just live alone without any support from the outside world. So it's so important for us to build a community and connection wherever we are. Let's talk a little bit about exercise and even just expand that to physical activity and movement, because I've always been struck by the fact that, like, if you look at any studies on dementia, Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, neurological disease, etc. I would say, hands down, the most powerful intervention that we know of, at least from the scientific literature, along with diet, is movement and physical activity. Chris, it was so fascinating to me as I was writing the book to look at exercise through the lens of longevity and through the lens of the hallmarks of aging. And we can look at it, you know, as increasing fitness, increasing muscle mass, and helping your mitochondria. And you know, there's a lot of things we sort of already know about exercise and health and the benefits, manage your blood sugar and so forth. But when I started to really dig into the science, it's so fascinating to me how exercise is almost like this magic potion that can optimize all these functional systems in our body and reverse the hallmarks of aging. It reduces inflammation, it improves your mitochondria, it helps your protein function, it helps regulate insulin signaling and mTOR and MPK and sirtuins and helps to actually improve your epigenome and lengthen your telomeres. And so it's like, wow, wait a minute, exercise isn't you know, just sort of this abstract thing that you know, makes you live longer and feel better. We now understand the mechanisms through which it works. And that's to me really exciting. So to me, if you kind of, other than food, exercise, and particularly as you get older, becomes more and more important and the right kind of exercise. So yes, we need fitness and cardiovascular fitness and VO2 max is the measurement of your fitness level. It's how much oxygen you consume per minute, which is related to how many calories you can burn. It's a sort of a measurement of your, your mitochondria and your fitness level, very important, but also strength training and muscle mass. And this is where I think a lot of people go wrong with longevity is they miss the importance of resistance exercising and the importance of protein along with it to actually build muscle and make healthy muscle because you can have unhealthy muscle which is marbled like ribeye steak or you can have like a filet mignon which is what we really want <laughs> the reality is that muscle is the currency of aging and if you lose muscle which we all do if we don't do anything like when i was 50 i couldn't do 10 push-ups now i can do 80 or 90 push-ups without stopping like that's a big change and i look at myself when i was 50 and i'm way more in shape now at 63 because i've understood 
what to do and how to do it. And it's not like I spend hours and hours a day exercising, although I'd love to, <laughs> but I'm too busy, but I, but I, I actually with very limited amounts with the right types, you can see really tremendous changes in your body. So I think it's important for us to commit to some type of resistance training as we get older and then also flexibility. So yoga, stretching, what do we like to do? Cause when you, you know, become stiff and rigid, you know, that's not a good thing with aging. I mean, the reason people end up in nursing homes is they can't, cut their toenails or tie their shoes, you know? Absolutely. Or, you know, as the saying goes in medicine, break your hip, die of pneumonia. Premature fractures are one of the leading causes of death in the elderly. And that often happens because of not enough muscle, not enough yeah. flexibility, et cetera. Totally. You and I both have practices where we treat a lot of people with complex chronic illness. And I would say the same thing to my patients with chronic illnesses, even though it was counterintuitive for them, like what, I'm sick and you're telling me I need to go lift weights and build muscle. But building muscle is actually also, I think, really important for anyone who's struggling with any kind of chronic health challenge for the same reason that it's important as we age. Muscle is the source of metabolic health and vitality. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing people don't realize. Your muscle is not just moving your bones and skeleton around. It's, it's an incredible metabolic organ. And if you have marbled fat as you get older, which can happen, you can be this same weight at 65 than you were at 25, but literally be twice as fat. And when that happens, you get this thing called sarcopenia, which is the death knell. And that means your muscle is not able to regulate your blood sugar very well. If mitochondria are not functioning well, you have hot, more inflammation, you have lower testosterone, you have lower growth hormone, you have higher cortisol, you have more oxidative stress. And pretty much everything you don't want as you age happens as you lose muscle. So I was like, hated strength training. I, they didn't like gyms. They were smelly and all these muscle heads. And I just didn't like it. <laughs> no offense to the muscle heads, but I just was like, I'm a you know, tall, skinny kind of guy. I'm like, oh, but actually I've used bands and resistance training and I can do it at home. I can use body weight. And I found it, not, it also helps me just feel better and move better and be able to do more stuff. Like it's amazing to see what my body can do at 63 years old, when, you know, most people my age are on their way down. I feel like I'm keeping getting better. I get better at tennis. I get better at my fitness. I get stronger. I get more muscles. And I'm like, wow, this is really amazing. This shit works. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. And I'm a little younger than you, but it's like at 48, I feel more fit than I have been in my, in my adult life. I'm <laughs> like all of my activities, it's the same. And, and I just want to emphasize too, like you said before, we're not talking about having to be in the gym for two hours a day. And in fact, I never go to the gym. I, I actually got some equipment I have it in my garage. So I just go out there and do, and there's so many new ways you can train that weren't around when we were younger, right? It was, there's bands, like you said, there's like the X3 system, which is also a resistance band. There's kettlebell training. There's all kinds of functional bodybuilding, TRX, all this. So like, you don't have to get bored you can bring TRX straps in your bag when you travel and hang them on the back of your hotel room door and get a I really good bands. workout. I mean, I yeah, use Tom Brady's program. Tom Brady, you know, basically legendary football player, but he never lifted weights. He used resistance bands and he developed this pliability, flexibility and resistance bands. And it's just amazing how great they are. You don't injure yourself. You can do it anywhere. I can literally do it literally anywhere I am. I bring them to the hotel room or, or when I'm in somebody's house and I just, 
I trap it to a bad, I need to, I can hook it onto a, a railing or to a tree or anything. And it's, it's just quite yeah. amazing. And even that, like you, you don't even need that. I mean, I've been in hotel rooms where I'm doing dips, like with my hands on the countertop and my feet propped up on a chair and you can do push-ups anywhere. So this is something it's, it, all it really requires is a commitment to do it. And then we're talking about, you know, you can get significant results in half hour a day or less for sure. And it really extend your health span. So, okay, we've talked a lot about the basics, which I really want to focus on because it is one of my pet peeves with these aging discussions where people go right to the fancy yeah, stem cells or yeah, which largely is stuff that's inaccessible to like 99.9% of people who are listening to the podcast, right? However, there are some really exciting new discoveries that have happened in the field of aging and anti-aging research, which you cover in the book. Let's start with stem cells. You know, the Japanese researcher who has very exciting discovery. What can we reasonably look forward to in the next, let's say, 10 to 20 years in terms of new developments that might help with this? Well, there's some really exciting things that are coming down the pike. But before we get to those, I want to talk about in addition to sort of basic diet, exercise, sleep, and stress management, another set of activities or things that you can do that are available to almost everybody that are incredibly effective in enhancing your health and longevity that have to do with this framework or concept called hormesis, which is basically a stress that doesn't kill you that makes you stronger. And you can integrate simple hormesis practices that have been proven to optimize your health and to work on many of these hallmarks of aging. So what is an example of those? Well, fasting is an example because that's a stress and that can just be an overnight fast for 14 hours or it can be you know, a day a week or it can be three days every quarter. There's many, many ways to do this, but giving your body the stress of not eating turns on all these longevity pathways. We just talked about exercise. That's another form of hormesis. It's basically you're pushing your body to do something and that's a stress and that activates the longevity switches. And then there's other ones that are relatively easy to do. Most people have a shower and a bathtub. You can take a really hot bath that increases your body temperature and that activates heat shock proteins and in your innate immune system and also has many other benefits on lowering cortisol and relaxing your muscles if you put an Epsom salt. If you have a sauna, you can use that. that that's been shown in Finland to dramatically reduce your risk of death if you do it four times a week. So, Or just go to a gym that has a sauna. You don't even need to have one yourself. Yeah, you go to a gym that has a sauna, they have sauna blankets now, they have stuff you can get relatively inexpensively, and that's a, such a powerful intervention. Cold therapy is another one. So you can take a cold shower for two minutes in the morning. I, I did a, I was staying at a friend's house who had a cold plunge, and I was in the cold plunge for three minutes this morning, and it was a fantastic way to wake up. It's better than coffee. <laughs> it's a little shocking to the body, but, but you kind of learn how to get used to it and use your breathing and your breath very powerful in activating brown fat and mitochondria and energy metabolism and increasing dopamine and, and focus and cognitive health. So these are simple practices that you can incorporate. And there's you know, other ones like hypoxia, which you can put a mask, you can buy for a few bucks on Amazon that it restricts your oxygen intake. And you do that for periods during the day that stimulate your mitochondria. So there's all these practices I talked about. Or you can the move to the mountains and live at 7,000 feet. There you and go. <laughs> 
There you go. There you go. Like you, Chris. You got it. You got it down. Uh, I love the hormesis discussion because a lot of people don't realize, too, antioxidants, that's the way that they work, too. They're actually pro-oxidants. They induce a mild hormetic response and they upregulate our own endogenous antioxidant defense system. Yeah. So this is like the, I call it phytohormesis, which is the plant compounds that actually can stimulate some of these pathways and are very effective in activating longevity switches. So all these things are available to us. There's some other more advanced hormetic therapies like hyperbaric oxygen and ozone, which are more expensive that are coming down the road. But I really love some of the research on hyperbaric oxygen as an intervention that can help to kill zombie cells, which are one of the hallmarks of aging. These cells that go around spewing out inflammation or inflammation or lengthen telomeres more than any other intervention. So I think hyperbaric oxygen is going to be a, a really important intervention. Also, ozone was another one that can be very effective and that that's not super expensive for most people can, can get access to it. You can get a machine, you can do rec loads at home. There's some issues with that, but ozone therapy can be very powerful. And then coming down the pike, there's stuff that I think is really exciting. You know, obviously stem cells, exosomes, peptides, and then this other one called plasmapheresis, which I think might turn out to be one of the most important interventions. And essentially it's filtering and cleaning your blood. They, what they did is these experiments with animals where they would hook up the circulation of an old mouse and a young mouse. And then the old mouse would become young, the young mouse would become old. And they're like, well, what's going on here? And then they kind of reverse engineered the mechanism by you trying to clean the blood of an old mouse without kicking it up to a young mouse. So it wasn't stuff in the young mouse that was making the old mouse young. It was stuff in the old mouse's blood that was making the old mouse old, if you follow me. So basically they did this technique that's used in medicine called plasmapheresis, which essentially takes your blood out of one arm, filters it, removes the plasma, which is the soup that all your cells float around. And it also is full of all these inflammatory compounds and damaged proteins and just kind of crappy crap in your blood. And it filters that out and then it puts your cells back in without the plasma that then kind of gives you this chance to build new plasma and renew yourself or you can add albumin. And the studies on animals where they've done this does all the same things as this parabiosis, this hooking up these circulation studies. So it, it's really pretty amazing. And I, I personally have had some experience with it. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but I, I did it after I had COVID and I had a terrible arthritis with my hand blown up and tons of inflammation in my body. It felt like crap. And I did plasmapheresis and the next day it was gone, just like that. Like all my symptoms, arthritis, my brain fog, feeling crappy after COVID, it just kind of went away. So I think that this is a very promising therapy. You know, we'll see how it goes. Exosomes are another one, which are, are basically the active healing components of stem cells that can be manufactured in a lab, that can be given in high doses, that can activate all these incredibly powerful systems. I had a colitis after taking an antibiotic for a bad tooth, and they gave me C. difficile, which is a horrible intestinal infection. And then I got colitis after that. It was really horrible. I couldn't get it better. And then I tried all kinds of things. And I did ozone, which helped a lot. But then I, I got it again. I tried exosomes, just IV exosomes, and it went away just like that. And now I'm perfectly normal. You know, people say, auto, you know, colitis is a lifelong thing and autoimmune disease, and I don't have anything. I'm perfect. So I went from being like hospitalized basically to be very perfect with just some simple interventions. So I'm excited about what's coming down the pike. There are some sci-fi stuff coming down the pike, like 3D printing of organs and epigenetic reprogramming and Yamanaka factors and sort of kind of cool sci-fi stuff, but we're not quite there. I think we'll, we'll get there though. 
Yeah, we'll get there and and it will become more available to more people. You know, right now, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned is all out of pocket. It's expensive. Very few people do it. Very few people do it well. (laughs) There are people who are definitely doing it not well. I've seen that. And so, so yeah, I mean, back to basics again, I think it's fair to say that dialing in your sleep, your stress management, your diet, your physical activity, and then layering on that next level of hormetic factors like cold exposure, heat exposure. And again, you don't have to have a sauna. You can just take a super hot bath. You don't have to have a cold plunge. You can take a cold shower. If you live in climate like I'll put I do, your bathtub go in, full of cold go, water. That's what I do. Yeah, go lay in the snow outside. <laughs> exactly. you know, do, and eating a wide variety of phytonutrients that have that phytohormetic effect, like you mentioned. Slight tangent here. This is why I think the carnivore argument is absurd. When they say plants are, have toxins, I'm like, awesome. Yeah, I want those. Th- <laughs> I want those small amounts of toxins because they're going to help my immune system and hormetic response function better. Yeah. So, yeah, all of those things are accessible to most people as well, and they just take things up a notch. And then, and only then, like in my sort of way of looking at it, does it make sense to look into those higher level things? Or if you have a a health challenge like you did, you know, that, that needs that kind of attention, but otherwise focusing on the basics is going to yield a much higher return on investment. So, so much. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. This is an example of, you know, patient I had who was 66. She was, uh, had a body mass index of 43, just massively overweight, diabetes for 10 years on insulin, heart failure, history of multiple stents, angina, high blood pressure, kidneys were failing, liver was failing, fatty liver. She was on a pile of medications. And she came to one of our group programs at Cleveland Clinic and used the power of you know the group and inspiration and the education support and changed her diet. And the kind of core of it is what I call the 10-day detox diet, which is essentially paleo-ish, but it's no grains, beans, no sugar, dairy, processed food, so forth. And she, in three days, was off her insulin. In three months, she reversed her heart failure. Her ejection fraction went from on her way to a heart transplant to normal. Her kidneys normalized, her liver normalized. So here was someone who was on her way to a heart and a kidney transplant who became perfectly normal. And then over the course of a year, lost 116 pounds just using food and simple lifestyle interventions and dramatically reversed her health situation and her biological age and sort of ended up adding so much vitality to her where she was on her way out and now she's you know back engaged and fully living her life so you see that and it's not like she didn't have any expensive things she was part of a group we shouldn't even have one-on-one medical care we did this for the daniel pan people can do this together and that's the beautiful thing about this is that we the medical system is not going to save you You, in fact you know you (laughs) it might kill you it might kill you exactly (laughs) so so most of the things we're talking about are are things that we're empowered to do that don't need a doctor's intervention yeah yeah amazing and i have to say i get a lot of books sent to me as i know you do mark and some of them i'll read a couple pages and this one I read from cover to cover, as I do with all of your books. I always know I'm going to learn something new. And I love your balanced approach, but also very evidence-based and science-driven and with a lot of heart too, like understanding that it's not just about the technical things. It's you know things like social connection, how we relate to each other, how we show up in our own lives with a big heart is a huge part of this and just as important as everything else. So just 
really important book for our times, especially. So tell people where they can learn more about the book and, and then how they can, for the three people listening to this podcast who haven't heard of you, <laughs> and don't already know of your work, where they can find your, you know, follow you online and find more yeah. of your work and your books. Oh, it's pretty easy. I, I'm not hard to find. My social media handle is Dr. Mark Hyman. That's Dr. Mark Hyman. I'm my Doctor's Pharmacy podcast. I'm available wherever you get podcasts. DrHyman.com is my website. And my book, you can get pretty much anywhere you get your books. Uh, you can go to youngforeverbook.com. There's a lot of great bonuses there or Amazon or your local bookstore. So pretty easy to find. It's in Kindle. It's in an audiobook. So I think you'll find it very helpful. And it, it's kind of, to me, the culmination of my life's work. It's sort of a, a really practical roadmap. It explains the science and the why. And then it explains what to do and how to do it. And I think that's really the whole goal here. It's not some abstract book on longevity. And there's a lot of those out there, but a really, and I'm not reductionist with just focusing on one thing or one expertise, but really laying out the big perspective of what do we know? How do we create a roadmap for health? And how do we understand our body's owner's manual so we can live a long, healthy, vital life and be and contribution to the world. And I'll just leave you with a thought from Common, who who basically said, where are you going to leave your one grain of spiritual sand on the universal scales of humanity? And I think for me, that's it. How do we add value to each other, to our lives? And if you feel like crap and you're sick and you're, you know, you're not going to be doing much to help each other or the planet. Yeah. Or even be able to show up for your kids or your partner or whatever it is. So it's this is about enabling us to live our best life and make a contribution. Couldn't agree more. And that's something that's worth fighting for, worth committing to, and worth dedicating your life to, right? Yep. Yep. yep absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Mark. It's I always enjoy our conversations and everybody make sure to pick up a copy of this book. It's essential mandatory reading, I would say. And I don't say that very often, as you know, if you've been listening to this show for a while. So youngforeverbook.com, pick up a copy. You won't regret it. And Mark, can't wait to see you next time. Seems like we're doing this every couple of years because you have a habit of writing books. <laughs> I might be over that for a minute. Yeah, I've heard that before, though. I've heard that before. So know, we'll see. We'll see. It's, you it's can't help bad, it. It's a bad you habit. Yeah. It. It's a good habit. I like your books. So, all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Send your questions, chriscresser.com slash podcast question. We'll see you next time. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscresser.com slash podcast question. You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.